Just the general tone of this conversation, I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right, Scott, how's it going today? It's right before Labor Day, so the summer's coming to an end, I think. Feels like it. But I'm excited for today. So today's a little bit outside of the norm. We're going outside of the industry, but certainly not outside of the topic. So today is going to be more about hospitality. And Adam has said over and over that hospitality is life. And I think we've got a guest today that really delivers that message and follows parallels of our industry. So I'm excited for this one. And I think it's a great opportunity. And it's going to be a crossover for both us in our industry and over to the industry that they're trying to serve with their new book. So I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be a great conversation. But before we get into that, Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Just like Scott said, it's definitely slowing down. It feels like we've turned that corner where the guests are no longer flocking to the beach, which is as someone who's local and the kids are back in school and has to wait for the buses to get around town. I'm not necessarily disappointed about the lack of traffic, but it is it's nice to have the energy from those guests throughout the summer. So there, it does feel a little bit slower as the tourism slows down, which is just a natural progression. But what that I think ultimately leads us to is continuing the conversation that we've been having over the last six months or so is the changes that are coming towards us. And as we turn into the fall, this becomes an exceptionally important time for vacation rental managers. This market is very, or industry, I guess, as a whole is very cyclical. And we need to be ahead of that from a planning perspective. Now, layer on top of that, all of the changes that we've been talking about for the last six months, and this becomes a really crucial time of year. Things are changing a lot for a number of reasons, whether it's AI, whether it's a slowdown in bookings or nightly rates being pushed down, the overall economy, expectations from the guest and homeowner side. Things are shifting very significantly. And what that does is line up the planning for 2024. And in a lot of industries, you try to close out the year pretty strong and you finish what you're doing. But in the vacation rental industry, now's actually the time where you need to plan for 2024. So it's time to think about what's coming and thinking about these changes, I think, becomes even more crucial than the last six months. Last six months, we've been talking about what we think is coming. Now we're hitting a point where it's here. So whatever changes have already occurred throughout the last six months or so, you're now faced with those in closing out 2023, as well as capturing enough business so that you can be successful for 2024. That's not an easy balancing act. Now, to Scott's point, I'm excited for today's because this is the first time where we're going to take ourselves away from the industry and look at a separate industry and start to bring those two back together. But I think that, as Scott mentioned, the underlying piece for me, which underlies all of the changes that I just touched on, is that there's a thin line of hospitality that ties all of these threads together. Underlying all of this, all of the changes that we've been talking about is unreasonable hospitality. And as Scott just mentioned, my belief is that hospitality stretches across all of life. It's not just what we're doing within vacation rentals. It's how we're treating our friends and family. And Scott had a good example of this when he was going down to see his father a few weeks ago when we were chatting on one of our episodes and he was in Florida. We're going to be faced with this as a society. So it's our travel behaviors are not necessarily just for pleasure. Obviously, business is included in there, but there's a health component to our travel behaviors that we don't necessarily talk about very much. That component is going to continue to grow. We know that baby boomers are this huge surge that's going to change the economy as things change in their lives. One of the areas that's going to change 
is the travel behaviors around people who are either going to see those baby boomers or even the baby boomers themselves. So I think that this discussion around hospitality and how's it, how it stretches outside of just the industries that, that we think about traditionally, this is a really important discussion for us to have. So excited to have Stowe with us this week. Yeah. On that note then, Stowe, welcome. We appreciate having you and your time today recording with us. So we'd love a little bit of background about you, how you got to this stage. If you want to share more about the project, that's also appreciated. But before you do that, if you don't mind, could you also do a song that best describes you? I think the song that best describes me is Going to California by Led Zeppelin. And I just love the song. I love the lyrics, the music. And I grew up on the East Coast, moved to California when I was 32 called my parents, said they ruined a third of my life when I got out to see the big sky and the Pacific Ocean and the palm trees. And so I think going to California is really the song that describes me. It's that California way of life. We work hard, but we also enjoy life. Nice. Yeah. This is surprising, but I think that's the first Led Zeppelin song. So Stowe, I appreciate it. It might be my favorite Led Zeppelin song. That's a great one. Actually, Fool in the Rain, but that's a good second. Yeah. When you get old, you know, the songs that you remember, the songs you heard when you were in high school and college. So I think that's part of the reason. Yeah, awesome. I, Thank, new songs today. I think there's people who say that the best music is actually made from when you're like 15 to 25. And then everything after that is just, you could just take it or leave it. But yeah. no, we appreciate that. So our addition to the playlist will get even more diverse. I think as Adam alluded to with, I don't think we've had a Led Zeppelin song to my knowledge. So that's a great addition. So would you also just break down a little bit of your background, the yeah. book that you've put together and how did you, how, why are we talking here today? Hospitality. Yeah, actually I'm a hospitality person. I grew up in hospitality operations started working in kitchens when I was in high school, um, became like a sous chef, and then worked in the hotel business, worked at summer resort business, et cetera, worked in hotels, and then did a master's in hospitality, and then actually did a fair amount of consumer research in hospitality. Worked, moved to California for a job to work doing consumer research, where we actually took, we created the chicken soft taco for Taco Bell. Took it from product development to product launch. Did a lot of pricing strategy for Taco Bell. Also worked with Marriott when they were developing their hotels and when they also owned food service. And then eventually went on and earned my PhD at Cornell University and became an academic with a very applied approach. And so for the last, I finished my PhD in 1995. And since then, I've really focused a lot of my research in the area of customer loyalty and pricing. So I worked with Hilton and Hyatt on their loyalty programs, worked with British Airways on their whole pricing strategy. You can blame me anytime you want to fly BA and you have to pay for an extra seat. <laughs> and But then really became a beginning that so published a lot and then started doing work when I, at one point I lived in Houston, when my wife went on to do her PhD, my wife of 50 years, so I didn't marry my grad student. We ended up, I ended up working at MD Anderson Cancer Center, bringing, how do we bring, how do we create a great patient experience in the leading cancer hospital in the world? And of all the research and projects I did, that was so meaningful because we were really changing lives and we're changing attitudes about how people were treated. And my wife, she was working on her PhD at Texas A&M. And we hadn't been married 50 years. She was 50 when she did her PhD. She really discovered through our research that, you know, people wanted, they didn't want to be called patients. They didn't want to be called customers. 
but they wanted to be loved family members. That's how they wanted to be treated. So all the research we did really focused on how do we create, really make patients feel like loved family members. And my co-author came from marketing. He had a big marketing agency. He and I wrote a couple of textbooks together on marketing strategy. And he ended up working for Cancer Treatment Centers of America for 10 years. And as we saw this change happening in healthcare, and we saw a lot of consultants coming in talking about the patient experience, we realized that there was a you, everybody was saying, oh, yes, we can provide great healthcare for wealthy people. And our goal was to say, wait a minute, hospitality, we provide great experiences, whether you're staying at a Four Seasons or you're staying at a La Quinta. So what are the serve, what are the principles of hospitality that a hospital or a healthcare facility that is dealing not just with high-end patients, but with Medicare patients can still provide a great process and a great experience. So that's really how we came up with this idea of doing a book. And my co-author has his PhD from Cornell also. We didn't want to be just two guys with an opinion. So we went out and we surveyed about 1,200 people across the U.S., all balanced by ethnicity, demographics, et cetera, and talked to people who had visited a hospital, walked to a walk-in clinic, visited a doctor's office, stayed in a hotel, and eaten in a restaurant. And we really wanted to see, do we truly believe that healthcare does not do as well as hospitality? And we have the actual data now to show all that. And in the book we wrote, highlights those pieces of data. So then we said, okay, now that we have all this data, let's take a look and let's trace hospitality from its beginning to where we are now. And where are we in that same juncture with healthcare? And that's really how we came up with the idea for the book. It's a long-winded answer, so I apologize to the listeners. No, no, it's good. You've had this career that spanned different things, and it led you to a really interesting topic for sure. So, uh, Scott, you went through this initially, and I think Stowe and his team originally got in touch with you. What kind of drew your eye to this topic as a way to connect it back to the vacational industry, which is a cousin in some respects to the hotel industry that Stowe's had a lot of experience in too? Yeah, so it, it, I'm going to blame it a bit on Adam because, again, Adam's been the one that's driving hospitality his life. And when we got the reach out first, because we get quite a few people reaching out to say, hey, can we be on the podcast? And so I, I just responded back to the media folks and just said, hey, could, can I get a copy of the book? And, and legitimately, paragraph two is they compare a guy going for a colonoscopy to a, the same guy going to Vegas. And you look at it, and even what Stowe just said, as Stowe was talking I shot Adam a message and said, oh man, this is perfect. We've, now we're bringing kind of academia to hospitality and there's so much to it. And Conrad, I think, right, it's all of it, right? It's, it is, even when Stowe was talking about, they don't want to be called patients. They don't want, they want to be family. And even if you look at us, we call them guests, right? And you start to really parallel these things. And I, and I am more on board than ever with hospitality is life. And I have even thinking about my own, right? I've got my annual physical here this afternoon. And right, it's this, I'm going again to to get service. And I think the other thing, and still I'll turn it back over to you, is you know very early about the difference between service and hospitality. So I'd love to know your perspective on, because clearly when you're going to a cancer 
treatment center, there's a clear service that is needed there. But you guys are saying, hey, it's more than service. People getting the service, that's just really, it's a scratch, right? You've got to, you've got to take it to where they're getting a full experience for their full well-being. Yeah, exactly. And we're really in the experience economy, right? Everybody is trying to get that unique experience and how am I treated differently and how am I not just buying a product or buying a service? And really every area of our life is your right. Hospitality is life, right? We try to, it goes back to the golden rule, right? Treat as if you'd like to be treated. And what happens, I think, in hospitality and really in all services, we've become so concerned with how do we drive out the cost and how do we drive out people and make it all self-service and so there's no interaction. But then when we do have interaction, we want to, we really want to have a great interaction. And so what we've always argued, but my research in the hospitality industry for so long is that we can, every every experience has to be broken down into from the time we think about the guests coming to do business with us to the time they leave. And everything that happens with those, we call those the moments of truth. Anytime we have that interaction with that person, how do we help the person move along their journey? And how do we remind them that they're getting great service, right? Because services are intangible, right? Going to a doctor or buying, we have simultaneous production and consumption. So we're buying it as we purchase it. And in healthcare, we don't really know, are we getting good service or not? And so we use cues that really have nothing to do with the quality of the care we're getting. So when I was doing the research at MD Anderson, people would say, oh, I had great care here because I was given a warm blanket when I was getting my treatment, right? (laughs) Or we got terrible care here because we had to wait forever to check in. And so our goal was to say, okay, let's see, how do we really operationalize and how do we break down the service to every point of contact and then do things to make sure we know that the patient is being getting the service and the experience that will make them feel like they're most family members. And in hospitality, it really wasn't until Kermit Wilson of Holiday Inn took his trip to Washington, D.C. from Memphis that before he took that, every hotel was different. There was there were no chains no franchises, service is very varied. He said, wait a minute, let me build a chain of hotels where everything is standardized and the guest knows what they're getting and they're getting great experience. And they designed the whole process to provide that great experience. And that's what we've done in hospitality for so long. And now we're going to bring it to healthcare. It, your little anecdote I thought was really interesting there, Stowe. I don't know if you read like any of Rory Sutherland stuff. He's like one of the lead strategy people at Ogilvy. They're like a big agency. Mm-hmm. But uh, he talked about, uh, basically there's a story where he said the London to Paris train or some kind of long train ride, they were going to make some kind of ridiculous upgrade to the speed so that the train was going to go from, let's say 50 miles an hour to 75 miles an hour. And people were going to be happier because it was going to take less time to get from point A to point B. And that this was going to cost, let's say it was going to cost $500 million because they have to change all this infrastructure and hardware and stuff like that. Ogilvy came in and did a research and they said, if we just add fast Wi-Fi to the trains, that'll cost like $2 million and people will be happier because they can sit there on their phone and play on their phone the whole time, even though the train ride takes the same amount of time. And they did that. And that was actually like led to a better outcome. So it reminded me of your story there where you were saying like the warm blanket, which costs nothing compared to maybe some other things that could be done in the healthcare space, but it made that person feel a certain way. 
And who knows, maybe they got the wrong treatment. I certainly hope they didn't, but they could have gotten, we would have no way to actually know that, but they felt like they were taken care of and there's something to that. The example that I always give on this podcast, though, I don't know if Chick-fil-A is popular out in Las Vegas. I don't know. Oh, if, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like they, they get people who are being paid not a very high wage. Maybe they're getting paid 10, 12, $13 an hour, something like that. And here, at least in my neck of the woods, it's high school kids. They get them to care about the customer in a way that seemingly a lot of other places can't. Like I've seen places where they, they pay their employees a lot more money and they don't seem to care about the customer at all. And at Chick-fil-A, they figured it out. So it, I guess my question, is it a culture thing? Does this have to be like a top-down thing where people who lead those healthcare workers have to push this down? Or is it something that's bottom up? Does the people at the at that lower level have to make the difference? It's bottom up in the sense that the upper management has to understand what's going on. And I'll give you an example. One of my favorite sayings is, he who lives in the cider house doesn't make the rules the famous book, Cider House Rules. And I think what happens in healthcare is there's been this very view of, I'm the doctor, this is how things work. But it's the people at the lower levels who are delivering a lot of the critical care. And I'll give you an example at MD Anderson. And when we were doing some focus groups, we were talking to the doctors. And the doctor said the technicians take care of the, the do the reads. And so we, when I went down to do the focus groups with the radiologists or the, the people taking the scans, I called them technicians. And they were like, technicians fix toaster ovens. We're technologists. So over a 10-year period, we really educated the senior leadership about how the employees thought about their role, right? And from that, then it became really the employees took the initiative to really do great things. And I'll give you really one quick example. Where one of the things that happens in cancer treatment is after you do your contrast, you have to go to another waiting area to, to wait till you get your scan. And depending upon what scan you're getting will depend upon how long the wait is, right? And what happened is that at one of the hospitals, not at the Anderson, the no one ever checked on the people who were waiting to get the scan. So what we did is we said, okay, let's come up with a 30-minute timer, sand timer. And every 30 minutes, a different staff member will be responsible to go around and check on every patient so they get that interaction. When we were doing the test, the testing control, we implemented this process. I called down to see how everything was going. And I heard that, oh, someone dropped the sand timer and it broke. And I was like, oh, great. But then the person said, but another person ran out to Target and bought a second one. And so now we're all set. They bought two or three, so what happens again? So suddenly I realized, oh my God, we've made that cultural shift where we got the employees to be so engaged with it that they went out and took care of the customer, right? And then senior leadership saw that. So then it suddenly we changed the whole dialogue that really we became a team and not we're the doctors, we're the employees. And I think Chick-fil-A is very good about creating that. So it is all about culture. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Adam, that, that story reminds me of something that we've talked about, which is like just showing a little bit of care. <laughs> it seems like such a small yeah. thing in the vacation rental space. I posted a clip the other day on LinkedIn that did really well. And it was like that automation piece that we've talked about before, where it's like, you can over automate your way into everything. It's great that everything's automated and door locks and keys and all that kind of stuff. But a five minute phone call, we talked about this with Tyam, I think last recording too, a five minute phone call feels really nice to get a five minute phone call. Hey, is everything okay? And 99% of the time, everything is okay. But Adam, I don't know what your thoughts are on that aspect of it just showing that these little kind of moments actually to go a long way, don't they? Even though they don't take much time. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what underlies unreasonable hospitality and our continued focus on hospitality. But I sit back and listen to this and there's a number of levels of excitement for me. I think I'd, I might've mentioned this before, but Charlie Munger talks about it as multidisciplinary thinking. It's when you're talking about all of these different topics that don't seem to be related, but then you can pull threads back together that all become related and then improve whatever the different topics are collectively. And this is super interesting because as Stowe talks through this process, it mirrors everything that we're thinking that we've talked about on this podcast about the improvements that need to happen in this vacation rental space. Now, I'll break it down into those three areas that I think we've been talking about. Overall hospitality, which I'll categorize as hotels. And then you've got healthcare, which Stowe's focused on. And then you've got the vacation rental group, which we're focused on. I agree with Stowe that hospitality as a whole, those hotels have had a long time to build processes. And it looks like from the outside that they have hospitality figured out. I'm going to make an argument that they are in the same issues with hospitality that we are with vacation rentals. They're just seem a little bit more established. Then you've got Stowe in the healthcare industry, which is amazing to think about how big it is. And it still has these really underlying foundational issues. And with small changes like Stowe's talking about, they see really significant improvements from a culture within the healthcare, as well as for the clients. And then you get to the vacation rental space, which I think is in the middle where you've got this big industry that's still the wild west. We have this opportunity. And I think this underlies everything we've been talking about for six months. All of the changes that are happening in the vacation rental industry really come back to the opportunity to look at what we're doing and fix each one of those steps. And Amy mentioned this on her discussion with us. COVID was too easy and it's time for us to come back and look at each one of the marketing steps. Stowe said the same thing. It's that patient process from the time that they start to the very end. Whatever those steps are, whatever those touch points are, we need to look at each one of those. Some of that's marketing, some of that's operations. But that example that Stowe just gave about the timer and the operations, that's so simple to think about the improvement for the people that were waiting in line and for the belief in the culture for the people who are actually operating there, that's really powerful. Yeah, I, I, I wonder, you, Adam. Go, oh, ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, going back to the, the example of the sand timer is really an example of, if we look at it, what is it about the sand timer that, and having someone check on them that makes, them, makes the patient feel like a more family member? And it really comes down to, and I think this is important for, the, for your industry, is what we call the rater system. Because services are intangible, how do we make something that's intangible, tangible? And, and we talk about the rater system, which is reliability, assurance, tangible, empathy, and responsiveness. So at every interaction, how do we show that we're reliable? And in what we were, were talking about in healthcare, when the person shows up for their interview or for their appointment, we don't go name and number. We say, welcome, Stowe. We've been expecting you. And that show they're reliable because they knew we were coming. The assurance, getting a phone call before your guests arrive at their time, their vacation rental, 
calling the guest or the patient before they arrive just to confirm your appointment's coming up, right? How do we make it tangible? Making the front desk area or the whole waiting area or the reception area using music and color and all those things to create this welcoming environment. Empathy, right? I've always been crazy when I check into a hotel at five in the morning because I've flown all night. And the first person says is, how are you feeling this morning? As compared to, oh, you must be exhausted because of your flight. Let me see how I can get you a room. And and so being empathetic to a person's condition is critical. And then being responsive to the requests. We use an example in our book from Ed Maiden, who was the regional director for Dorchester Collection at, at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And he taught his team 14 key words, right? And I think these 14 key words are whether you're in hospitality, whether you're on your side of the business, or whether you're in the healthcare. The 14 key words are remember me, recognize me, anticipate my needs, give me what I want on time. And he trains all his employees of those 14 words. Remember me, recognize me, anticipate my needs, give me what I want on time. And I think that is why the Sandheimer work, when we think about the Raider system, we think about those four key words, that's hospitality is life, right? If we can all remember that no matter what industry we're in, suddenly we've created an incredible experience. Scott, from an operational perspective, I'm curious what Stowe was just saying, your thoughts on that. Is it that we don't have the right training for the employee? Is it that we don't have the right technology? Like, how do they remember these things? Do they just stuff it in their head? Or is there some tool that would help them? Or what's the gap? Like, how does someone get from not doing this at all to at least doing a B-plus version of these different systems that Stowe was describing? Yeah, so it's funny. And I've been taking notes wildly here as Stowe's been talking, but I think it comes down to the culture aspect, right? And we've had many talks, right? I flash all the way back to when Dirk was on talking about housekeeping and your experience, Stowe, right? For us, technician, for us, technician equals the maintenance staff or the cleaning staff, right? Listen, without them, the you, the doctor's not getting far, right? Because they need to do their work before the doctor can do anything. And ultimately- exactly. That that's the unrecognized aspect. And so Conrad, if you take it back to this, you take it back to, I think, generally speaking, we consider that as long as housekeeping has it clean and maintenance has it in good condition, they've done their part. Where if you look at this and go, if you expanded their view, like we've been talking about, especially in this remote check-in environment, and you expand it to the things that we've touched on in this last 35 minutes, which have been just incredible, if we open their view to, hey, you actually have a role in these things, not just having it clean by four o'clock. If you look and go, yeah, you're the on time part, but ultimately we want to pull you into the rest of the words. We want to pull you into the other words to essentially say you have a role in each one of those. I think that's the missing part, Conrad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like there's not many, I guess there's not a lot of momentum, I guess, up on that person because that person may say, I've got a million things on my plate. I have a lot of shifting and changing to do. So how do you get that person to buy in when it feels like they have a lot? Is it some? Is that more of a conversation with the leadership of, hey, you just don't have enough people. You guys just need more people to be able to do this level of service. Or is it just a matter of organizing things differently or better? I think it's, it's a question of organizing things differently. Okay. We're always going to be short, no matter what industry we're in. 
Right. And so it's a question of what we the re research, what we talk about in the book is really the kind of the creating that great culture, right? Listening to your employees, having your employees be part of the process, right? So when we think about doing this sort of employee mapping or guest mapping, we also want to map the employees at the same time. And how do we incorporate the radar system into our interaction with employees as we are as managers? How do we show employees that we're reliable as an employer, that we're empathetic to their concerns? And so all of that becomes really critical. In terms of remembering the 14 words, you know, what we did at NMD Anderson, we had what we called Anderson Care. And each of those letters represented something like A was acknowledged. And we made these really big posters and we put them in the, any area where there was a guest employee, guest relationship in the back room, we put that up there so that the employee was always reminded. We had them wear little badges that said Anderson Care. So then they had to remember and it was just, it was a constant re referral to what, what was going on. And so it's just constant reminder and it's showing man it's leadership that we're down on the floor and we're paying attention and we're listening to concerns. One thing that we talked about in in the research we've done in hospitals is we say to employees, when was the last time your manager asked you what you needed to make your job better and easier and make it so you could provide better patient customer satisfaction? And those are the kinds of things that when employees, when the management says to the employee, what do you need to provide better service? Suddenly you go, oh my God, we could do that with no problem. Or we ask, what are our guests saying about us? What do you hear the patient saying? And then we can go fix that. So the example you brought up on the train, I think is remarkable because it is what guests were probably complaining about is, oh, we spent so much time on the train, right? And we can't get anything done. Right. So we have to get make a faster train. No, let's just make it so we can get they get things done. So then time is irrelevant. Right. And so it's a, it's a question of how do we move from the belief that they're wasting time to how do they fill their time? And by talking to the employees, they're the ones who can give us the ideas because they hear what the patient customer is saying. Yeah. And that exactly mirrors what we've been talking about, which is that the if you're sitting inside of an office, a nice air-conditioned office, whether it be in Ocean City or the Outer Banks or North Myrtle Beach, you're not really often dealing with the guest day-to-day. -day. It's obviously similar in healthcare, right? I'm sure there's people who are executives or they're, they have certain roles inside the healthcare system and they're sitting in an office all day and they're not in, in a patient room. I'm sure there's some similarities there. Adam, I guess I'm curious your perspective on that. How do we, is, what's the, what's that equivalent question, I guess, is what I'm asking with vacation rentals. Is it the same thing? Are we asking those housekeeper maintenance type people, boots on the ground people, what they need to do their job better? Or is it a training thing like Scott's saying? I guess I'm just curious your perspective on that too. Uh, the first thing I'll mention is that Stowe's 100% that we need to be treating our colleagues with the same hospitality that we're expecting to be treating the guests. I also love the perspective of thinking of them as family. I think changing that perspective, just shifting the way that we talk about them. And I don't know if we do this as an industry or even if we do this as a business, but just having the mentality that their goal is to be to feel like a family member and not a guest or not a patient, I think significantly shifts things. To answer your question, Conrad, I do believe that the underlying foundation for this is what Scott Sobel said is it's the culture, right? It's the belief in what we're doing. So it's us talking with our teams about 
un unreasonable hospitality and the need to treat people like a family. I think that's the underlying foundation. But the part that really excites me, and this is the part that excites me about this overall industry and the changes, is that it comes down to simple, practical changes that you can make in your everyday operations, right? If you listen to the examples, Unreasonable Hospitality has got a bunch of examples. Stowe's already given the example of the, the sand timer. That's just a simple practical idea that someone thought about, hey, here's a challenge. Let's figure out what the solution is. I think this industry is full of them. So as I talk about the headwinds that are coming and the changes and how we need to think about what we're going to do to succeed, that's with excitement. I don't say that in the sense of, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. I'm excited about these changes because I'm excited that we can double down and think about each one of these steps and how we can make it better in the big picture. And that's what Stowe's doing with healthcare as well. Big picture is we fix each one of these small steps. And now all of a sudden we've got this amazing experience. We didn't try to change the whole experience. We just changed each individual step. So I think to go back to your question, I think that it's the belief it's everyone believing, yes, this is what we want to do. This is the culture. And then it's looking for every one of those small opportunities to make improvements. And those small opportunities, the place where we're going to get those is by talking to guests and talking to our employees. And you think about the moment of truth when that guest is talking to the doctor, to the nurse, to the check-in person in your business. What happens? What is it the guest is looking for? What is it the employee looking for? What are the barriers that are stopping those? And then how do those 14 words come together? And then how do we incorporate reliability, assurance, tangible empathy and responsiveness into each one of those interactions so that the guest goes, wow, that was an incredible experience. The example we use in hospitality is room service, right? You order room service, and if the phone rings and rings and rings, that's not showing they're very reliable, right? And then they say, your food will be up in 20 minutes. If you're like me, you should, you're afraid to move, right? And you're panicked. And then time just seems to drag, right? And if they come in time, you never know. So we always tell people, it's 10 o'clock, your food will be there by 1020. Give them a start time and an end time. So when they're asked about room service, they go, oh my gosh, it came on time. So that's an example showing we're responsive. And so every interaction is bringing that radar system into it from the employee side, from the guest side. And suddenly you begin to change operations and then you change the culture because you show the importance. I guess so that's what we think about it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, one thing I'm thinking in my head, Scott, is the classic doing the basics well, like blocking and tackling sort of thing. And I feel like the most common request that operationally is always the case is I want to check in early and I want to leave late, those two things. So how do I, I guess I'm curious your perspective on this, Scott, how do we give great hospitality when we sometimes have to say no, because it's no, you can't check in late and then the next person arrives early because it takes three hours to turn this property and you're leaving us an hour. I don't know, just curious your perspective on that. Sometimes we can't give them what they're asking for, or what they want, and we have to say no. How do we do that? And they're still have a smile on their face at the end of the day. Yeah. So I had this experience, right? And here I am in the business. But we, when we went to Myrtle Beach down with to see or your area, Conrad, we get there. And of course, the fights were either in the morning or in the afternoon, right? So everyone wants the morning fight. No one wants to fight in the afternoon. So we get there a little bit early. And of course, I make the call to say, hey, any chance we can get in early? No. But what they did, and they didn't have to, 
is they said, oh man, we cannot. But then they went to empathy and said, we know you want to get in. You can have a first full day. The weather's beautiful. You go to Nacho Hippo. It's right across the street. It's diagonal from the office. Get your vacation started. Get a little lunch. We're right across the street. When your unit's ready, we'll give you a call. They did. The next call I got was them calling to say, hey, I'm standing out front. Can you stand up so we can find you? And they brought us our check-in stuff. Right. And again, maybe a little extreme, but even if they just went with the empathetic route and said, man, we're working on it. Here's a couple of places for you to go. It keeps you close to us. And when we'll call you as soon as you're ready. I think that is the hook because quite honestly, early check-in, everyone wants it. Not everyone could have it, but we do have to have that answer. And I go with the empathetic side. I think there's a way to to make it happen. Yeah, I like that. What, go ahead. Steph. What we talk about in the book is we talk about a similar example in terms of getting scans. Everybody wants their scans on Monday morning. No one wants their scans Saturday afternoon. So your demand is all Monday morning where your people are waiting, they're complaining because the lines are long where if you went Saturday afternoon, there's no issue. So what we've done in healthcare, again, taking our lessons from hospitality was, and I did all the pricing strategies I mentioned for British Airways. Tell me when you want to fly. I'll tell you what you have to pay. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you want to pay. I'll tell you when you can fly, right? In healthcare, you have to charge the same price list price has to be the same for a scan. But that doesn't mean that everybody pays that. Different insurance companies make different negotiations. So what we're arguing in the book is to say how much you want to pay for that scan, and we'll tell you when that scan can happen. right? And if we think about it in terms of vacation rentals, it, can we give people an incentive to check out early Right. If you check out early, you'll get a free dinner or something like that. Doesn't mean you have to leave the property. It only means you have to leave your room. Right. We'll store your luggage. We'll do everything. Maybe we build showers so they can still have the full day, but they haven't tied up their room. Right. And and maybe there's an incentive for that. Or maybe you charge extra for people who want to check in early. And so you balance in terms of payment, but we're experts at operating our business, right? So we need to think of ways because we do know some people do check out early, right? So how do we manage our business in a way of how the customer uses our business? And that's what we're really focused on the book is how do the principles in healthcare, hospitality are, we spend so much time knowing our guests so let's design our operations around the guests' needs, not around our needs as managers. When I was in hospitality, I thought this would be a great business if we didn't have any customers. Because then we could come in and we could do our work. We stayed in nice property. <laughs> we could get our work done. But guests come in and they're always asking us questions, right? And so we, what we've learned in times in hospitality over the years is how does the guest use our business? Let's adjust our operations along those same lines. And that's one of the major things we've brought into healthcare is let's bring how the patient uses our services 
and let's change our operations to fit their needs, which then makes them feel like a loved family member because they come when they want, they go when they want, and we're able to take care of them the way that they want. And we do that through the radar system. We do that through patient mapping. We do that through really understanding our operations by asking our employees, what could, what do they need to be better servers? One thing that was in the outline, I thought that was really interesting is there was a line in here about when it go, when it comes to like hotels or certainly in the world of vacation rentals. So there is some, there's some markets where there's 5,000 options to choose from. Literally there's 5,000 different cabin rental options inside of Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge or something like that. When it comes to healthcare, there's in some areas like the area that we were talking about before we hit record, like you're in rural Vermont, you're in Western Massachusetts. There's not really many choices to, to go from. It's like, you can go that this hospital nearby, or you can drive 25 miles that way. And there's another hospital. Those are your choices. I guess I'm curious, do you think that increased competition is a piece of the puzzle here? If there was more choices available, would that naturally solve some of these kind of problems because there'd be more choices? Or do you think it's just a matter of, no, if there's only one hospital, there's a reason for that. And we just have to work on these principles to make it better. No, competition is driving. We talk about in the book, information is everywhere, right? And so competition, because now what's, what's happening is we talk about medical tourism, right? Going somewhere else for a medical procedure. Often people think, oh, that means going to Thailand, going to Mexico for a medical procedure. But what's happening is there's different pockets. Oklahoma, who would have thought of Oklahoma as becoming a medical tourism destination? But they're one of the leading centers for if you want to get your stomach shrunk you go there. They're very big on orthopedics. And what's happening is you can go to these areas and pay less. They, we did this whole study in our, as part of this research project. We didn't cover it in the book, but really looking at our medical centers opening up across the country where you can go to get a procedure, less expensive, better quality care, because that's all they do. Example being Cleveland Clinic for Hearts, Mayo Clinic, MD Anderson for Cancer. So even though I'm living in rural Vermont and there's one hospital, it's easy for me to get on a plane and fly to that expert. So competition's only going to increase because information is everywhere. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, no, it definitely does. And I think certainly even 20 years ago, there wouldn't have been an online directory that you could have just logged into Google even or Yelp. And I know there's like medical specific sites. I'm not too savvy about which ones are the best ones or whatever, but I know there's sites that you can go on and find not just a review of a facility, but I know there's reviews of like individual doctors. Like someone might say, this doctor, I had a good experience. This doctor, I had a bad experience. And certainly people following these principles are going to do a little bit better. I know we're coming up against it time-wise, Adam, but was there other questions that we might have for Stowe before we let him depart today? No, I'm excited for this. And still, I thank you for the work that you guys are doing. I know that all of us have dealt with our share of time in, in doctor's offices and healthcare, and it's not usually something that we look forward to. So you guys improving the process of having the need to go through some of those systems and the need to be in those facilities and making it feel more comfortable for all of us that have to do that is, is a huge thing. So I appreciate that. But bigger picture and the correlation into this industry it just excites me for the changes that are ahead for us and the opportunities that we have in front of us. And it doubles down my belief that we look at each one of these 
small pieces and we improve them and then the overall picture becomes improved and we'll continue to not only improve our business but the industry as a whole now with that said we've got to get that culture we've got to get that underlying belief that unreasonable hospitality treating each other like family making sure that hospitality is part of who we are as people and part of our life i think that's that culture that we need to create but once we do it wow the sky's the limit when we start to improve each one of those individual pieces yeah and and just to do a sort of a selfless plug for the book if you're in the vacation rental business, I would urge you to read the book. You can buy it on Amazon and you can even get a Kindle version because in the book, we've laid out a whole model of how to really take care of the guests from the time they think about buying from us, from the time they leave. We interview hospitality executives who have done great things to create that great experience, like the gentleman, the 14 key words. So you may be in the vacation rental business, but there'll be lessons about hospitality in this book for you of the things we talked about, like the Raider system. It's like the example of the revenue management of timing. All of those kinds of things are addressed in the book. Yeah, and I would stress that a little bit with our industry. So I think that we all get a little bit blinders on and we start to think, oh, we've got to learn. We know this industry, we've got to learn from our industry. But I would stress those points there, Stowe. There's a lot for us to learn as we start to expand our view and start to look outside of the vacation rental industry. To your point, healthcare and hospitality as a whole and hotels have been around for a very long time. There's a lot that we can learn from that. They are our competitors. So there's one that's going to give us a competitive advantage. But two, let's improve on what they've done and become even better. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end it. Scott, anything else that we want to slide in here or? No, I, it's just remarkable. Today. Yeah, I think this has been remarkable. The one thing is it still hit on it when, and he said the experience economy, right? And you look at it and you, I flash back to Maddie Rifkin, right? And what she's building, right? And so to echo Adam, this is remarkable. There is a lot to learn. I highly recommend the book. I think this is going to be number two with us right behind unreasonable hospitality. I think there's so much to learn in a part of life where I think most people would say, oh, hospitality doesn't exist over there. And I think Stowe and his work show, it it most certainly does. And most people don't even see it at first, but it's sitting right there. Yep. And it matters a lot more at that time in life, like like we've all shared before. Awesome. So we really appreciate your time today recording with us and talking about through this topic. I don't think you're going to be making the rounds on a lot of other vacational podcasts. So I'm sure you made a little bit of a departure to spend time with us here today. We appreciate that. The book is Hospitable Healthcare, just with the patient order. That's a clever subheading there. So I don't know who, who deserves credit copy on that one, but have a shout out to them. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can tap the link. It's on Amazon. I'm sure it's in other places as well. And your publisher has done a good job there. So thanks again. If you made it this far and you appreciate what we talk about today. Our review helps us quite a bit. And certainly if you buy Stowe's book, leave him a review too when you pick up the copy of the book. I know that helps him and Amazon, helps us get more downloads in the podcast. So we appreciate it. We thank you for your time and we'll be back with you next week.